0: everyone. I hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Siobhan Hughes. Looks like he's on vacation or something like that. Siobhan, what you doing for this recording?
1: Oh, I am not. I uh, was actually at the basketball court and I uh, trained somebody and then I was just on my way home and then I uh, pulled over so I could do the show.
0: Good stuff, man. How many times did you get frustrated with the kid you were training today?
1: uh these are older kids they're actually like out of high school but they're just not in shape so i'm like i'm like not even getting to go through the sessions because they keep on having to stop to take breaks and i'm like dude like you're paying for this you should at least be in shape to get through the whole session and they're like not in shape at all yeah that
0: doesn't surprise me one bit man i feel like nobody's in shape right now or people are struggling to get back into shape well, I don't mind but-, it, but i'm like
1: i'm like you still got to pay me regardless whether you're in shape or not i still have to be paid for this so. That's up to you. You don't want to be in shape. That's cool. But I still, just because you couldn't get through the drill does not mean
0: I'm not charging you for it. Good point, man. Well, we will be talking about a bunch of people today that, that are supposedly in shape or should be in shape, seeing how they're professional athletes. As we're here for episode 216 of the MMA Rating Podcast, this is Rafael Garcia here for another week. I know we've been gone for probably about two weeks or so. It seems like it's been much longer, but you know. We're back in the driving seat today, and we're going to be talking about Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. We're going to wrap that up nice and tight. Um, UFC on ESPN from Saturday. And there were about 25 fights announced this week. We're going to talk about a couple of those as well, too. But before we do that, as always, you can check us out across multiple platforms, starting first and foremost with MMARatings.net or .com. Go hit us up. Check out the flagship over there where you can find this podcast and all of our written content. MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. Those are both spaces that hit us up there. Um, you can find this podcast on YouTube at MMA Ratings and also on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. I can be found at Garcia underscore sports on all social media while Schwann is at Black Jordan Breen across all social media. Thank you again, as always, for checking us out. And please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this content every Every tick of the thumbs up or sharing our show matters. If you see it get tweeted out, please like and retweet as well too. We really appreciate all of that support as we are 216 episodes in to this show. So Schwann, let's go ahead and start off with what was probably the most watched fight this weekend. I'm not gonna call it the best, but the most watched mm-hmm. fight and card where Jake Paul defeated Tyrone Bully by split decision on Sunday. Um, first and foremost, how did you
1: score the fight and why? I really thought Tyron maybe won two, I guess you could say three rounds maybe. Uh, he landed the heavier shot, but the fact is he didn't land enough of them. He he didn't even really throw enough of them. And uh, while he pressured and he got in position to, sh- to fire shots off, he didn't fire them off. But that's one thing. Jake Paul outworked him. He kept jabbing. He kept throwing punches. And the second thing is, even though Tyron Woodley hit the most damaging punch of the fight and, and landed more power punches, Jake Paul's movement on his feet and his work rate never really dipped. He was pretty consistent as far as his amount of punches thrown, mostly throughout the fight. So the consistency of his movement, the consistency of his work rate, and the fact that even though he didn't, throw the, he, he didn't land the harder punches, he landed more and he landed them cleaner than uh, Tyron Woodley, which essentially would determine the fight. Maybe in a fight, Tyron won because he did more damage. But as far as the boxing match, um, Jake Paul won that fairly handily.
0: So what do you think about all this controversy about the fight being rigged and all this other bullshit? Is this more about people not knowing what they're watching? Or is this the the quote-unquote new fight fan trying to jump into watching these high-priced events and not being pleased with, with what they're getting?
1: Well, the first thing is a lot of people think boxing is just trading and wars. That's one aspect of boxing. I enjoy it. But I also enjoy fights where guys are being technical and strategical. This is more of a technical and strategical fight. Um, the question was the question I had before the fight was who can handle getting hit and handle the pressure and react correctly? In this case it was Jake Paul. He took the biggest shot. And even then in the in the shot that he took, the biggest shot he's ever taken in his fight, the hardest shot he's ever taken in a fight. He got right back on his toes and continued to box and move. Tyron Woodley, for in, on the other hand, just allowed himself to be outworked. He could say, "I was trying to find the right shot. I didn't run, want to run into anything," but he didn't throw enough punches. He didn't even throw enough punches to be competitive. So people are disappointed because some people don't know Tyron Woodley. And the highlights they showed to Tyron, he's supposed to be a knockout puncher, a devastating puncher, devastating striker. And that is, he's devastating. But he's never been devastating for more than three to five shots around. He doesn't throw volume. He's never thrown volume. He's never really jabbed a lot of fight. He's never thrown combinations. It's always kind of one one to three shots, one to three big shots around. So if people were thinking Tyrone was gonna come in here and brawl with Jake, that's not who Tyrone is. He's never been that guy. I think what they were thinking is Jake's a YouTuber. Tyron's faced the best fighters in the world. So he's gonna throw more punches because this guy is no threat to him. So either Tyron is faded and he knows he can't take punishment anymore, or Jake Paul actually hits harder than we think, and Tyron didn't want to risk getting hit by something because he did the same thing he's done in the UFC. He just got outworked. He got outworked by Usman. He got outworked by Burns. He got outworked by Colby. He he got knocked out by Luke. but for the most part, he's been consistently outworked, and it's the same thing he does in MMA. Except in MMA, when he was at his peak he was fast enough and dynamic enough that he could land one shot and the whole fight was over. He's no longer that athletic peak. And so now he doesn't have the rest of the skills to put himself in position to land the big shot or to land two or three shots to set up the big shot. So, I mean, people just didn't know who people didn't know what to expect. Jake Paul had knocked pretty much everybody out. So people thought Jake was some big brawler, knockout puncher. Tyron was advertised as one of the most devastating punchers or strikers in the UFC so people were expecting a brawl after all that tough talk the whole i'll die here for my mama i'm going to i'm going to punish him every second i'm going to make it look easy and then they see they they wanted to see a fight and they saw a boxing match instead not a high level boxing match but a boxing match nonetheless they were expecting a fight they were sold a fight and they got a boxing match instead and that's where the disappointment's coming from
0: should they be surprised? Though I was on a podcast talking about this uh, yesterday, I believe it was. And if you watch combat sports, specifically Tyron willie in his last what five years of performance, none of this should surprise you. So should anyone have been shocked and surprised, or is that just them telling on themselves that they don't really watch combat sports? Well, they kind—I mean, they kind of should. Have, the the surprise
1: is. Woodley facing a guy who really has no real combat sports experience like real against real competition they thought Woodley would be braver like I understand why you're hesitant against Usman I understand what you're hesitant against Maya you don't want to be taken down I understand why you're hesitant against uh, Wonderboy but why are you hesitant against Jake Paul I mean yeah he's bigger than you and, and and he's heavier and all that stuff but he even though he's a better boxer you would just think that Tyrone would come out throwing bombs to see if he could catch him early and put him away that's what people were shocked by that tyron was so hesitant and respectful of a guy who had really not accomplished anything i mean yeah he knocked out ben Askren, and that that matters he knocked out nate nate uh, robinson but he hadn't really knocked out anybody who was in their prime or even close to their prime or really even dynamic as an athlete so you're kind of wondering why is the more experienced fighter so hesitant to exchange with a guy who's never really taken punishment like we had no idea jake paul could even take a punch so you it it's it's shocking that a professional fighter wouldn't just come out there and, and jump on him right away to see what happened. That's what was shocked by. Now, fans of MMA, we knew what was coming. We knew what Tyron Woodley was. But like I said, everybody fooled themselves into thinking Jake Paul's a total fraud. Jake Paul's an act. Tyron's going to walk right through him. One, Tyron doesn't have that character. And I guess, two, either Jake Paul's a lot better than we think he is or Jake Paul hits a lot harder than we think he is because Tyron did not take any chances. He... He, he landed some good punches, but at no point did he take any chances to force the action.
0: Now, you said something there that I really want to kind of segue to another part of this conversation. But how good is Jake Paul and how long do we think that this, I want to say act for now, can stick around? We've talked about this in the past. This is his fourth fight, his fourth win. How much longer do you think we can really look at the situation where he's placed at the top of these cards, 40, 50, 60 dollars an event? How much longer do you think that that they can do this with him at, as the centerpiece? Well,
1: they're going to have to make these cards better. These cards weren't good enough to justify what they're charging. But as long as he draws interest, and he I mean, like to be quite honest, he could fight another five mixed martial arts guys and he could generate interest. I don't know I don't know how eventually he'll have to fight a boxer eventually but like, let's say he challenged, let's say after uh, Anderson Silva fights Tito Ortiz, and he fought Anderson Silva, Anderson beat Julio Cesar Chavez's son, who was a former world champion in boxing, so Jake Paul fought him. Anderson's not really a knockout kind of guy. He's a showboat, jab, potshot kind of guy. He could get outworked by Anderson for eight rounds, but not really get beaten up. And if he loses to him, it doesn't take any of the shine off of him. Or he could fight like another kind of guy who's past his prime and a little bit long in the tooth. The the The, the The determining factor is going to be, can Jake Paul maintain people's interest? And the one thing we have to admit here is, I know people are going to hate on Jake Paul for not fighting boxers, but there's been a lot of boxers, there's been a lot of MMA fighters, who as soon as they faced some resistance, they folded. When Ronda Rousey faced really resistance against Holly Holm, what did she do? She lost. There's been high-profile boxers. A couple guys, uh, the MMA fighter Clay Collard, he was boxing. He beat some former Olympians. The first time they got hit and they had a real fight, they quit. Jake Paul took the hardest shot from the biggest puncher he's ever faced. He got back up and he got back to work and do what it took to win the fight. People are overshadowing that they're overshadowing the fact that he was in a tough spot and he, he responded correctly, like a professional tough fighter. Now, was it exciting? Was it dynamic? No, but he got rocked. He basically got dropped. He got back on his feet. He danced around, put his jab out there and he came back the next round. He won the next round and he was pretty much even money for the rest of the fight even as Ron started letting his hands go. So this actually, to a lot of people, legitimizes Jake Paul and makes you say, maybe he's not the greatest boxer, but we know that he has some fighter in him. Because before it was one-way traffic. He's just beating people up. But we saw, even now, when he got cracked hard, he didn't fold. Was he, was he dynamic? Was he too impressive? No. But did he stick to his game plan and keep on fighting even though he was hurt and dead tired? Yeah. And we've, we've both seen professional fighters quit when it, when it gets tough. And one thing you can say about him, he, he had every reason to quit. He was tired. He had gotten rocked. He could have given up. He didn't. He came back that next round, fifth round, jab, 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 putting punches together, moving his feet. So this actually helps him moving forward because now people can say, well, he's a real fighter now. We know that he can get through some adversity. And to be quite honest, there's some boxers right now who we still don't know who would happen when they, they get hit with a tough shot. We already know that about Jake Paul. So as long as he can generate the interest, Showtime will still be investing in him because he makes them money. And that's the biggest thing. He makes money. He generates interest. He's cross- He's not even in mixed martial arts. And people talk about him in mixed martial arts more than they talk about Tyron Woodley. And Woodley's a former champion. As long as he can generate interest, as long as he has those hot takes and there's drama and there's back behind-the-scenes stories to be sold and told, Jay Paul is going to be promoted as a headliner because he generates money and he generates opportunities for other fighters.
0: So let's talk about some of those opportunities. Um, We saw the reports that came out that both Woodley and Paul made $2 million for this fight, which is clearly Woodley's biggest payday for one event in his fighting career. Supposedly, I haven't seen any records of this either though, but Jake has talked about it, at least on social media, that he took a lower payday so the other fighters on the card can get more money. What are your thoughts about that? Is that something that Will he uh, continue on with, with with his with his events? And is he really the champion for fighter pay that we think he is? I don't know that he
1: he is, but he doesn't have to be. All he has to do is have the discussion and put the discussion on a platform where millions of people have to start asking these kind of questions. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't really have to care. He doesn't really have to care. You just need the issue pushed forward. It's like if there's a politician who fake cares about minorities. Even though he doesn't really care, he's just using it to leverage himself, at least the discussion is being had on a platform. Maybe it won't get all the change he wants, but if five percent better change, it's not the change you want. It might be performative, but if it helps a thousand kids, a hundred thousand, a million people get a little bit better, a little bit further ahead, then that's a little bit further the boost that they didn't have before. People who never cared about women's pay and boxing are talking about it. People who never cared about MMA pay are talking about it because it's weird that a guy who's a YouTuber, he does, he's not a multi-million promoter. He's not an owner of a, of a promotion. He is a YouTuber turned boxer, has gotten two uh, of the best, most recent best champions in MMA, their highest paydays without fighting in an octagon or a, a whatever whatever hexagon, whatever it is they fight in, or ring. He has gotten them paid doing a sport they have no experience in, getting paid more than they've ever gotten paid individually for any one event as a mixed martial arts champion. That is a damn shame. That's an indictment on the UFC, Bellator, and one, that a guy comes in with an 0-0 boxing record and has made more money boxing than he has ever made as a mixed martial art artist defending a title. How the hell does that work? It puts a, it puts a spotlight on it. Now, the fighters aren't going to do anything about th- anything about it because that would require them to be unselfish and fighting is a selfish sport. But at least as far as with the public, it's informing the public about what's going on, and it's putting a direct comparison between the public. Woodley, you fought Wonderboy. How much did you make? This much? You made five times as much to fight a guy who's 4-0 and and not even a real boxer, and this is your first boxing fight, and you made $2 million in your first boxing fight. You were an established name of the UFC. when uh, There are probably two or three fights you didn't make $2 million in. So it's, it's bringing it to the public's attention. I don't know how committed he is to it, but I will say one thing. Woodley said this himself. Conor McGregor didn't help people get paid except the people he was fighting. Even Floyd Mayweather, he helps people in his camp. He makes money for the people who he's fighting. He doesn't make money for people who are outside of his team. Like he said, when Javonta Davis defended his title, he said, we're not going to help another corporation make their their fighter great, a.k.a. I'm only helping people on my team. Conor McGregor doesn't help people who he isn't fighting or on his team. He helps people who he's fighting. He helps people on his team. Jake Paul has no investment in Amanda Serrano. She got a career-high payday. He has no investment in Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley got a career-high payday. Those are two examples. Women's boxing and mixed martial arts. People who got career-high paydays as a result of Jake Paul. Hate him as much as you want. Maybe it's an act. Maybe he's a big phony. The fact of the matter is Tyron Woodley got a bag that he shouldn't have gotten being a guy on a four fight losing streak a guy who has no interest no pay-per-view sales who has no real fan base got 2 million dollars to fight a non-combat sports athlete 2 million he got paid the most for the least amount of danger he's been in in his life as a combat sports athlete what is he complaining about and even if even if even if Paul, Jake Paul is a fake and a phony and he's not really caring about the sports. Ask Amanda Serrano, who who's never made as much money as she did. If she appreciates it, and she was a co-main event, she appreciates it. And Tyron Woodley, as much as he can say it's a fake, it's he was running for me. He's a punk. That man got you your biggest payday. Where else was Tyron Woodley going to get two million dollars for eight rounds for two round three rounds of work? Where else was he going to get two million? Name the place. He wasn't he
0: wasn't getting it at any point in time. Yeah, we would have seen. Let me ask you this. Uh, do oh,
1: we one, one, one more thing, one more thing. Because of that platform, we got to see a different side of Tyron Woodley. This this is this is where it really embarrasses the UFC. Tyron Woodley is well-spoken. He's clever. He's witty. But will we ever know that in the UFC? Never given a platform to show those traits. Conor McGregor was. Other fighters get to show how clever they were. Who gave him the platform where he could show this intelligent family side, this witty side, this street side? He got to show all his sides. Who gave him that opportunity? Was it Dana White, who he was a champion for for years? Did Dana White give him that opportunity? Or did a YouTube guy who's got four fights give Tyron Woodley a better opportunity to show who he is and what he's about than he's ever had in almost 10 years in mixed martial
0: arts? Who gave it to him? We've talked about this a lot on this show. Um, and And I stand by the fact that the UFC does not do a good job with promoting some individuals. I've said it time and time again. Usually, it is the the, the 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 black fighters on the roster. They do not do a good job of of promoting them in a way that could draw in new fans. Tyron Willie was cheered in a way on Sunday. Now he was never cheered in when he was the the Same
1: same thing for Ben Askren.
0: Same thing he, with Ben Askren. Never. Like Jake was,
1: Paul is such an ass, and he does it on purpose. That's how he gets the sales. He allowed like when Floyd fought Connor. Floyd allowed Connor to put on the Connor show and show every aspect of Connor's charm and his arrogance and his charisma, and that helped push the pay-per-view. Jake Paul, he'll let he'll let Woodley get all the, the one-liners in. He'll let Woodley call him a punk and say he's gonna kill him. He'll do all that stuff. He let Jay, he let Ben Askren embarrass him verbally. But guess what? Those guys have bigger fan bases. They're gonna have more opportunities moving forward because Jake Paul gave you a platform and let you say what the fuck you wanted to say. In a way that the organization that you were a champion for never did.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, and it's and it's very telling. It's very telling because even like the fan reaction to him on Sunday was was in a much more positive space. Based off of that, do we think we see Woodley fight again in a boxing setting?
1: I think it, I think if I was Woodley, I don't even know if I go back into fighting Woodley. I mean, he's got so many skills. He could be in that. He could work for ESPN. He could work for Farts coming in. There's a lot of things he can do because regardless of how he fought, a lot of people like his family. They like how he carries himself. They like how intelligent he is. They like how logical and, and precise he was in his argument. Like in that little face-off they had with Jake Paul, I, that was the best Tyron Woodley I've seen. And I know Tyron Willie didn't just wake up like that. He's been like that way for years. I know guys who know him. They're like, he's been that way for years. The UFC never just, just never let him show it. So he's got a huge payday. He's got a huge platform where he got to show what Tyrone Woodley's about, which is going to help his Q rating and help him for opportunities moving forward. Um, you know, I don't know. If fighting's in his thing, if he wants to do that, that's cool. But there's so many other avenues he could take in this. There's so many other avenues. There's so many other things he could do.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what's next for him. I think he may box again in some way situation, but um, I don't $2 think $2 really million dollars again, though. No, he's not getting $2 million. I think it's going to draw the same type of uh, attention. What else stood out on this card for, uh, for you? Like you mentioned, it didn't have a lot there, but it did have Amanda Serrano in the co-main event. She picked up a victory. And it also had um, Tommy Fury on the undercard as well. What else kind of stood out for you on this show?
1: I mean, they were good fights. They weren't really important fights. The main thing that was stood out to me is that you saw some of the paydays these guys are getting. And even if they didn't get paid a ton, they're on a highly viewed pay-per-view. And people will say, well, that doesn't matter. It does matter. People know who Tommy Fury, more people know who Tommy Fury is now. It, the more ratings you can bring, the more familiarity you can bring, that's sponsorship money. That's more more leverage at the table when you're talking about making fights because I'm a name, people know me. Jake Paul understands the business of that, a business. I wrote an article for MMA ratings talking about three things you don't know about Jake Paul, the Jake Paul for dummies. Jake Paul understands business because he was a businessman first. He started his own business. It was about, making waves figuring out the algorithm drawing attention maximizing your character and in each one of these fights he's allowed fighters to get shine whether they're attacking him or praising him to establish themselves as personalities and establish themselves as athletes who are intelligent capable of speaking up on important issues and capable of telling their stories he's given people that freedom he's given people that platform and as a result moving forward they're going to be able to demand more money they're gonna get some sponsorship opportunities. And Amanda Serrano is somebody who benefited from that. A lot of people, he kept mentioning her name. There's people who never heard of her. She's one of the best boxers, not just female boxers, one of the best boxers of all time. And nobody talks about her. Yet here it is: a YouTube guy got her a platform, got her pay the highest pay. And I guarantee you, she gets she benefits on the MMA side because she fights MMA too. She benefits on the boxing side and she's gonna benefit on in the boardroom. Because now she's known. Jake Paul's been saying her name left and right. I guarantee you Google searches for Amanda Serrano were up. Because nobody's ever searched her before. Because nobody gave a fuck except for real boxing fans. So all these people are getting a chance to improve their Q rating. Get big paydays. And fight in front of sold out crowds. Which all helps the bottom line of boxing. Because it's about attention and butts in seats. And all these fighters have gotten more attention than all the guys on the undercard of the fucking Pacquiao Ugas fight. Nobody knows about them. Nobody cares about them. But people care about Tommy Fury. And Tommy Fury's like a like a raw amateur raw low pro fighter. And he's getting he's getting as much pub as the guy who beat Manny Pacquiao. How does that work? Tyron Woodley's getting more public, public, public publication and publicity than Devin Haney when he beat a top ten ranked fighter. Right now, Tyron Woodley is getting more attention than Teofimo Lopez, who beat the pound-for-pound pound best guy a year ago. How the hell do you figure that?
0: I mean, it's very interesting. I'm I'm glad that that this exposure is getting there. And something else that a lot of people are really talking about with this fight is that um, the audience was younger, the audience in attendance, and. Yeah. Watching people talk about it on social media, a lot of people that I talked to who were dead set on buying it, asking me if I was watching it, et cetera, they, I'm not going to say, I, think, I mean, they're obviously around my age and my friends and stuff like that, but it was more interesting in that space there. Did this fight help draw in some younger fight fans who may be interested in seeking out saw or um, seeking out like Manny Pacquiao's next fight, if he fights again, or, or, um, Canelo's next fight whenever he's ready to go do you think it just will help get those people interested or are they just here for Jake
1: Jake Paul when Jake Paul put his hit list out of people he wanted to fight I guarantee you there's a lot of people Canelo's very popular he's not as popular as LeBron James because his sport isn't as popular I guarantee people who never heard of Canelo were like well who's this Canelo guy the fact that he kept mentioning his name and now Canelo's got a fight coming up in what three months or so ratings will come up higher because Canelo's got a higher Q rating because there's a whole segment of people who don't pay attention to guys like Canelo who now are going to pay attention because Jake Paul said his name and said he's on his hit list. Well, let me see what this guy's got. Let me see if Jake can beat him. It's really that simple. He understands how business works. Fighters don't understand how business works. Fighters think, I'm a good fighter, so I provide this value. Your value is in the interest you can create in matchups or the interest you can create with fans. That's where your value comes in. It's not that you're such a great fighter. If you're a great fighter but nobody cares about you, you being a great fighter means nothing. It's the interest you can generate because you're an interesting matchup or the interest you can generate because you're an interesting person. So, Jake Paul has brought all this interest in. There's going to be some people, maybe not a ton, but if, let's say, a million people follow Jake Paul and just 1% of those people, 2%, 10% of those people stick with boxing or pay attention to boxing a little bit more, and that helps boxing as a whole because it, it gets a new, younger fan base who might either get into it casually, they might start boxing, and if you start boxing, then you want to watch it a little bit more, or it just might who who might buy the next fight, who might buy the next one, or they might watch an extra fight now because now they've kind of caught the bug for it because it's kind of interesting to them. Part of expanding a sport is having a general interest in it. That's why NBA, NFL are so big because people have played it or they know people who played it. It's very close and near and dear to their heart. Jake Paul has taken boxing, which seems very foreign to most people, and made it into a casual topic of discussion. So people who wouldn't normally talk about it are talking about it left and right. And some of those people are going to stick around, and they're going to continue to support the sport, and those younger people are going to help the sport grow. Because we got a lot of 30 to 50-year-olds. We need more of those 18 to 24-year-olds to get into the sport. Any form or fashion.
0: Good stuff. That's true there, sir. Let's let's turn the page and move over to UFC on ESPN. I think this is number 30 or something like that, where we saw a main event, which was an interesting main event, and it was a needed main event because you have someone who is on the borderline of the conversation about elite versus gatekeeper. We've talked about that extensively with, with Edson Barbosa. And he was facing someone in Jiga Chikese who is looking to make a surge. He's running up the ladder right now, and he needed to get a big win over Edson Barbosa if he's going to prove that he is a title contender. Well, he did just that. He stopped Edson in the third round of, of their fight to pick up a victory there. What are your thoughts about what we saw from Chikese on Saturday? Is that enough to put him in, into the short list of contenders at 145 pounds?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I thought Edson was the safest guy, the safest elite guy. He's always been the safest elite guy. He's dynamic. He's fast. He's powerful. But he's not busy fighter. Defensively, he has some holes. And even offensively, he, he's not consistent enough where you have to be aware of him every second of every round. He's not physically pressing upon you every single round. Not physically. He might be in your face, but he's not working constantly. So in this case, he's facing a guy who is a comparable athlete who is a more established and successful striker. And usually when he faces guys, he doesn't have huge advantages over Edson doesn't do as great. You see him against a certain caliber guy. He looks incredible. You see him against Shane Burgos and other people like that. And you're like, Oh my God, this guy's untouchable. How is he not a champion? Then you see him when that advantage is taken away. And then he looks, he looks fairly normal. He looks good, but he looks fairly normal. Um, I think, I think, Edson did a good job. He was pressuring. He kept getting, uh, how do you say his last name? Uh, Chakazi? Uh, oops. Chika- Yes,
0: like
1: Chakazi. Chakazi. He kept getting him to the fence. The thing is, he couldn't keep him on the fence where he could start piling on the volume or break him down. Every time he got into the fence, Chakazi fought his way back off the fence, and then Edson would back up in a straight line and get kind of chopped up. So they were kind of taking turns, taking control of the fight. But when Chikaze was hitting Edson, Edson wasn't able to take the shots as well, and he wasn't able to handle the pace as well. And that's when the fight kind of started breaking down for him. Once he wasn't able to dictate the pace with his his athleticism and his power, he couldn't control the pace and where the fight took place. The same thing always happens when he can't control the pace and the place to fight. The, moment, the guy builds momentum, and he slowly starts falling apart. I've never seen Edson lose control of the fight and regain control of a fight. Most of the fights he wins, he's in control the entirety of the fight. The minute he loses control of a fight, it's very hard for him to regain it. Or if he's losing a fight badly, he might he's either going to finish you or he'll regain... and If he doesn't finish you, he'll regain control with a big strike, and then you just start grinding him down again. And once again, he just got ground down because he was unable to keep Chakasi where he wanted to so where he could really open up and overwhelm him or take him down and grind him out. He just couldn't keep him in the positions he needed to because once Chakasi got into a danger zone... Chakasi fought his way right back out, and Edson didn't have the temperament or the activity to change, to stop that or to slow it.
0: So let's talk about what's next for Chakasi there, because he's been moved up to number eight in the rankings. And ahead of him are three names that I think will be um, optimal fights for him. Uh, Josh Emmett at seven, Arnold Allen at six, and Calvin Cater at five. Of those three names, who do you think he should uh, take a shot at next?
1: Uh, well, cater would be the easiest fight because cater pressures. The big, the biggest thing I'd say with Chikesi is it it was very concerning how easily Edson got him to the cage. You know, against a guy with some wrestling chops or a guy who throws a lot of volume, like a Max Holloway, you get on that cage, you're not getting off. Or even Volkanovsky, they'll get you cage, they'll they'll go for a takedown, they'll keep you pressed up, they'll grind you down, they'll wear you out. His lack of footwork under duress concerned me. Um, any of those guys are. Our guys, I think he will win. I don't think he can fight Burgos because Burgos got completely dismantled by uh, by Barboza. Maybe Josh Emmett because Josh Emmett he he's explosive enough to make you pay. He's dynamic enough, but he's so one dimensional in his striking and he's so predictable. And he's also a guy who doesn't keep a high work rate. He's always dangerous because he's got that kind of explosiveness and power that can put you out. But he doesn't. He's not defensively sound enough to pressure you without getting chopped up. And he's not busy enough to take advantage of all the positions he's going to get you in. He'll get you in position and throw a big one, two, three. You get, you avoid that, then you'll just be beating him up 80% of the round, except for those two 10% where he has those big bursts, and the rest of the time he's just waiting. I don't think any of those guys have the overall nuance of skill to beat him, but I think their, physical, their physicality, and in some cases their athleticism, will allow them to have moments of success to get in position for success. I just don't think they have the craft, to build on it, to get in position, take control, and take over the fight. They might be able to get in position, but they can't do anything with it. Not consistently. They might have a moment here, a moment there, but they can't consistently build on their offense to take control of the fight. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have a problem beating Chakasi. Yeah,
0: I can definitely agree with that there. I think he's He's shown a lot, and I don't want to say quickly because he's been on a pretty solid run since being on the contender series, where he did, where he lost actually. He was um, submitted on the contender series, so he's been putting on a very solid run there. I think it is now time to put him into a, um, I would say a, a title eliminator esque fight. He could be one or two fights away from a title shot, depending on how he performs and how he's at the top of the division. I, kind of I fussy. think I think he, I think he
1: needs a two or three fights that that issue. He can get so. The fact that he gets pressure to the fence, as good as a striker as he is, to get pressure to the fence that consistently, that easily, is a huge problem. With the right fight, it's easy to just press him and just lean on him. I, I think he gets a little bit exhausted because of the the pace he keeps, and I think I think he's re- really really kind of gun shy about grappling or wrestling exchanges. So I think whenever you attempt one, or he knows there's a threat on the table for it, I think he gets a little antsier and and he works his works himself out, works himself up works himself up and becomes more subject to fatigue. So it's very concerning to me how, how easily he was consistently put on that fence. That's the problem. Barboza doesn't have the wrestling chops or just raw athleticism to dictate where a fight goes from there. But even a guy as, as low IQ as Josh Emmett seems to be in fight might get him to the cage, tie up, see if he can drag him down. And if he gets drugged down, even if he can defend and get back up, I don't know if his pacing or his versatility as a striker will maintain once he's been forced to work at a pace that he doesn't want to work at. It's a big concern for me. He he got put to the fence, like, at will. He just fought off of it. But against another guy, when you fight off, duck down, reactive takedown, now you're up against the cage with me on top of you.
0: So it's important to listen to what I said. I didn't say that he's ready for a title contender. I said could see him in one, just because of how the UFC books. Um, you know that they push guys that – they want to throw out there at any point in time. I could see that happening with with him. And looking at the top of that division, um, I if I was in his corner, he could even fight somebody like a Yair Rodriguez. I think that that would be an interesting fight for him as well too. But what, let's see how that really kind of shakes out because I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with him next. Booking at the top of these divisions in the UFC has not been fun. Uh, and we haven't really gotten a lot of these – five versus six, three versus four type of fights, eight versus nine. We haven't gotten a lot of those, so it was good to really enjoy that for
1: Saturday. I think I because think of the success, the dominance that um, Ortega, Holloway, and Volkanovsky have had in the division, it makes it hard because those guys are still floating around the top three. So it's like they need new matchups to, to give them fights to generate interest. So a lot of guys end up skipping steps, They should getting fights they shouldn't get. Uh, like Calvin Cater shouldn't have fought Max Holloway. There's no way that fight should have happened. He wasn't, in my opinion, of a caliber to fight him. But, you know, Yara Rodriguez is going to fight Max Holloway. Why the hell is Yara, Yara Rodriguez fighting Max Holloway? He's not of a similar caliber, but Max Holloway has beaten so many guys that you just got to throw somebody in there with him. And my fear is that they throw Chakasi in there with him. It's a winnable fight, but it's a fight that if he gets up to a bad start and lets Max build build momentum, and that's another young contender that Max Holloway beat the hell out of and took out of contention. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you there.
0: Um, I didn't watch Tough this season. I haven't watched Tough in probably
1: 10 years or so. It's like it's like the poor man's version of Dana White's contender series. That's the worst it's, part. It's
0: even worse than that, in my opinion. Did Is there anything about these two Tough winners that you want to add to today's show? Not really. I mean, I'm glad they won. I'm glad
1: I, they put on good performances for the most part. But... I don't know that any of these guys has a real future as a contender in the UFC. Like, if you're a really good fighter, you're probably on the the Contender Series. If you're on Tough, that means you have a personality and some fighting ability. When you're on Contender Series, all all they can go is fighting fighting ability. You don't have enough time to show personality in your storyline. It's basically can you fight or can you not? And we know that on Tough, as the seasons got further along, it became less about the fighting and more about the backstory. And what they overcame, and less about what they could actually do in the cage.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not really too interested in in tough or the ultimate fighter. That I'm not in that that target audience, so I'm not even really going to give that much of my energy there. Kevin Lee, though, i want to give him some some of my energy because he lost again at 170 uh, pounds. And as I, I wrote my piece about uh, UFC on ESPN 30, he was one of the things I was talking about because Kevin Lee, he's one of those guys, oddly, people talked about him as if he's a future champion. That wasn't a, a heel I was willing to die on, but he dropped another important fight. Um, I think it was a split decision, or no, he he well, he uh, lost or he, excuse me, 29-28 on all three cards. He lost via unanimous decision, but everyone believed he picked up one round is kevin lee done with the ufc
1: i don't think he's done the ufc the thing is at 55 he had certain technical holes but because he was a big 55 er a guy who could comfortably fight at 170 he could muscle he was a great athlete he could muscle you down and take downs he could bully you in clinches because he's just a little bit stronger he could control you on the ground not through pure technique but through a combination of technique and size on the feet The defensive mistakes he made, he was able to navigate them because he was so much bigger, he could absorb the shots a little bit better. Even though he doesn't have the greatest chin, when you're coming in 15, 20 pounds heavier than somebody, 25 pounds heavier, you can take a shot a little bit better than normally. You know, like Ethan Barboza rocked him, but now you see Ethan fighting at 145, and you see Kevin Lee comfortably fighting at 170, which tells you how much of a gap there was when they got into the cage. And that physicality and that size made up for a lot of, technical holes but it also developed bad habits because he's used to being able to get in hold positions that he can't get in hold now 170 he doesn't have a strength advantage he doesn't have a power advantage he doesn't have a physicality advantage he doesn't have a durability advantage and and before he would always get tired but he had enough physicality we, he, he could slow a fight down and welterweight he can't when he loses control of a fight he can't slow it down he can't easily get a takedown if he gets a takedown he can't hold a guy down when a guy starts hitting him, he can't just walk through those shots to get to the position he wants because he can't take them. I just feel he needs some more. First, he's been off for a long time, his first fight back. And second, I just feel he needs more refinement and diversification of what he does so that he can fight in a manner that li- limits exposing the holes he has in his game physically and technically because that's all it is. He's not, able, he's not the physical force he is at lightweight that he was at welterweight. So now he has to be a little bit more measured. He, his, his punch placement has to be perfect. His shot selection has to be much better. The shots he throws has to be much more diverse. The, the timing on his takedowns has to be clear, closer to perfect because he just can't bully his way in now. It's got to be well set up. Set up. It's got to be well thought out. And it's got to be very layered and nuanced in everything he does. And he's never been that kind of fighter. And that's closer to the fighter he needs to be because he no longer has physical advantages to just out-athlete or outright bully someone. He's actually got to learn to fight within a structure of a system and be efficient and measured in what he does because he can no longer rely on size and strength to cover when he gets tired. He actually has to have defensive maneuvers so when he gets tired, he can roll and slip and control pace without burnt, gassing himself out. He actually has to have perfect technique on these submission attempts because now he just can't yank him and put horsepower on him. That He don't have that horsepower advantage. He had moments against his opponent when his opponents start ramping up the pace and physicality, he overwhelmed Kevin Lee. And you can see Kevin Lee is not used to being overwhelmed. He's going to have to get used to that, and he's going to have to start changing his approach, his points of emphasis in how he fights. And I didn't just say this now. I've been saying this for years about him. I like him. I never thought he was a future champion, but I thought stylistically he, he posed a lot of problems. But that, that physical advantage that he's used as a crutch no longer exists. Now he has to learn how to fight without that physical advantage. And I don't know if he has enough time to figure it out, to, to stay as an elite fighter. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know.
0: Would he benefit from going to a Bellator or a PFL or one or somewhere like that and maybe building himself back up like a Brandon Moreno did, going on the regional circuit and doing some fights there? Do you think that's something he'll do if he was to get cut? Or does he c- continue struggling in the UFC?
1: I think I think it would be good for him. Excuse me, I think so. I'm totally out of order today. I think it, I, whatever they do is going to be good for them. But the thing is, there's so much competition in this 170 to 155 range. Just go into a new promotion. Even if you're fighting no names, these guys can fight now. 70 and 55 are too two deep division. So there's guys you've never heard of who can fight well. Anthony Pettis thought he'd just go to PFL and roll over everybody. What happened to him? What happened to Will Brooks? He thought he'd go to PFL and he roll over everybody. What happened to him? It's not just going... To fight a lower level of opponent, because now the gap in talent isn't as big as you think it is nowadays because so many people fight. His same problems here will be the same problems he has outside of outside of the UFC. It might it might not be as obvious or as egregious, but it's still going to be a problem. and against the right opponent, the same thing is going to happen. He's no longer a lock because he's not dominant at this level. If you're if he hit this level, just because you go to a lower level doesn't mean you're going to dominate. You might get dominated at a lower level. Benson Henderson started getting iffy at welterweight. He, he, he won his last couple of fights against second-tier guys. He went to Bellator and got his doors blown off at, at welterweight. So there's no guarantee now because the gap in talent is not as egregious as it used to be. Kevin Lee needs to take time to reassess, reinstall, refine, and get better. If he's not getting better and learning how to fight without that physical advantage, it doesn't matter where he goes. He'll, have, he'll win some, he'll lose some. that That's just going to be the reality of it. He has to get better. He has to develop a new identity as a fighter.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that there. I think he is in an odd space that even if he goes over to a belt or a PFL, he could very well be in the same situation that Benson Henderson was in. He went there, thought he was going to storm through some guys, and that didn't work out quite well for him. Or like... Um, i am not he's not as far gone. I't like, say gone, but he's not as far off as Anthony Pettis, but he's struggling over in PFL as well well too. So it's it's a situation where he has to figure out what's best for him and what he's going to do next and where he's going to succeed because Kevin Lee as the as a UFC champion is something that looks far farther and farther away every time. He's he kind of, he's kind of like the the male at this point the male Angela Hill.
1: He's got personality. He's a good looking guy. He's stylish but he can't put enough wins together for anybody to get behind. It's like, well, the UFC never pushed me. You haven't really put together enough wins for anybody to push you. When you face the best guys, you've lost, and you've lost decisively. It's hard to push you. You can say Connor's a fraud, but Connor won big fights early, and he's been losing them late, but he won a bunch of big ones early. And that's why I get so much leeway. Kevin Lee's won a lot of fights, but he hasn't won a lot of big fights, if you think about it.
0: That's true. That's true, there, sir. Speaking of uh, fights, what else stood out to you on this card? Anything else worth mentioning before we move on to our third and final topic? Uh,
1: not really. I mean, there were there are lots of good fights, but like I said, it's they're still in the stages where they have some impact on the division, but it's not going to be anything that we're going to feel for the next year or two. It's going to be like another year or two before some of these guys really put some weight into it and, and become a uh, force in the division or names we have to to think about.
0: Good stuff there. Good stuff. Let's let's talk about some of these fights that were announced this week. We got three that kind of I really want to talk about, but like I said, there were 25 that were announced from the 30th through today. Frankie Edgar versus Chito Vera. So I was talking about Frankie on um, the Southpaw podcast uh, earlier this week, and him and Jose Aldo are like the tale of two coins where you have two guys. They fought, what, three times, twice
1: maybe? Yeah, three times, I think.
0: Three no, times. Twice, yeah. twice. Twice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they, they, so and their trajectory since have been kind of like here. Aldo's been on a run since I mean he's lost some fights. Obviously, he lost a fight to Peter Yan, lost the two fights to Max Holloway, but that's it. I think he lost to Moycano too, correct? But um like that's really been it for him. He's continues to look good. He's look he's been looking fantastic at 135. Has some close fights there. No, he lost to Marlon. Uh, more else as well but he's had some close fights there but no one's looking at it like man Edgar should be on his way out out at this time or excuse me Aldo should be out on, on at, at this time no one's really talking about it this way but Frankie his the durability that everybody talked about with Frankie Edgar is no longer there like no longer there he's being knocked out at a faster clip and a much more violent clip so now he's um, lined up to take on Mar- Marlon Vera, and this is a test because I don't think that he has much of a space left in in the UFC if, if he gets stopped here and it, and it gets bad. What are your thoughts about this fight being booked?
1: Uh, it's just a fight that shouldn't 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 be tough. If Frankie was who he used to be, is now going to be very tough. He's not able to enact his wrestling as much. His defense is finally at a comparable level, but much like Gray Maynard, his chin, because he's been through so many wars and taken so much abuse, he has no margin for error. Like, shots that used to never rock him are like sending him stumbling, and shots that wouldn't stop him before are stopping him. And a lot of his success is his ability to throw a lot of volume and move a lot. I don't think he can throw the volume he used to. Physically, he can't maintain it. And and secondly, throwing more volume opens you up to being a counter no matter how defensively sound you are. And he can't take those counters anymore. And now he's fighting a lower weight class. He doesn't have that quickness advantage to get those takedowns and change positions, so he can keep control or finish guys anymore. Now he's fighting in his natural weight class. He's not—he's not a clearly better athlete, and he's not much stronger than these guys either. I think he has enough experience where he could kind of outsmart and out hustle Cheeto Vero. But at the same instant, if Vera can jump on him and catch him early. I don't know that Frankie Edgar can recover. He he just doesn't see an ability to take punishment or recover from punishment the way he used to. So they're giving him a, a winnable fight, but they're also hedging their bets, saying that if Cheeto beats him, I think he already beat uh, Sean O'Malley. He beats Edgar. That's another name fight he's won. He, that means he would have beat O'Malley, beat Edgar, lost to Aldo, which would put him back in the top 10, maybe top seven. So either way, the UFC is going to win. Either Frankie Edgar gets a fight to the re- that gives him a rebirth where he gets to be considered a, a contending fighter again, or he loses, and Cheeto Vera is established as a top 10, top 7 type guy, and he moves forward in it. But I can't see how anybody who's a, a, a Frankie Edgar fan has any faith that he wins this fight. Like, really solid faith that I'm putting all my money on Frankie Edgar. He just has not looked the same. And um, without those advantages in quickness and those advantages in in um, cardio... I don't know that I don't know that Frankie Edgar is a world-class guy. He has to have those advantages, and he does not have them nearly as much as he used to. Even in the fight he won against Pedro Munoz, he didn't look great in it. There's an argument that Pedro could have won that. And I think it's going to be something similar with Cheeto, except I think Cheeto has a little bit more of a mean streak. And I think if he gets in Frankie in a bad position, he he will end it.
0: So let me ask this. Um, is this a strong Valley sweepstakes? Like, meaning that the winner of this fight may get a potential, for Cheeto, it'll be a rematch, but we'll get a a big fight with um, quote unquote big fight with Sean Sean uh, Sean O'Malley. Um, I don't know why O'Malley would
1: take that fight. O'Malley's moving up the rankings and getting money and getting attention but fighting nobodies. I, I don't know why he'd even take that. I mean, he's already said he only wants he if he's gonna get paid more. He'll take a risk, but he ain't taking a risk for the money they're paying him. So, and I don't know that another win over O'Malley does anything for Cheeto Vera. I think he'd want he'd call somebody else out. Maybe he'd want a rematch with Aldo. Um. I wouldn't mind seeing Frankie Edgar against Sean O'Malley, but Frankie Edgar's chin is so iffy that it's just perfectly fine that, that that Malley might clip him early, and then that, then we got to hear O'Malley talk about how he beat a high-level wrestler. And I, I, don't know that I could, I don't know that I could go through six months of hearing about that. <laughs> Everybody told me I was scared of a wrestler, and I finally beat one. See, see, I told y'all. And Frankie, for 2021 Frankie Edgar ain't a high-level wrestler. Dude. Stop bragging
0: about that. Nah, and 2011 Frankie Edgar is, is a is a different thing.
1: It is amazing, though. I keep telling people, defense matters. Jose Aldo and Frank Yeager have fought a lot because Jose minimized the abuse he took, whether it's called playing it safe or being technical. His career has managed to continue on. He hasn't really lost a lot of effectiveness as he dropped weight. Frank Yeager was dominant at times at 55. He never never replicated that at 145. He never replicated it at 135. He was dominated at one weight class, and ever since then, he's been like a 500 fighter. While, while Jose Aldo, he's, he's lost, but once again, he's only lost to the tippy-top best in each division. Frankie Edgar's lost to some people you're like, what the hell's going on? He struggled with people you're like, what the hell's going on?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it, it's, it, that's why defense matters. It allows you to stay a little bit fresher. allows those reflexes not to get eaten into. It allows your durability to maintain. It allows your mentality and your ability to process information to maintain because you're not taking... Concussive blows all the time. So learning how to shut something down defensively will extend your career. Frankie did not learn how to do that, and now his career is showing the suffering of taking all his beatings. He sounds a little bit different. He moves a little bit different, and that that's from years and years of taking huge punishing shots from guys who are probably a weight class or two bigger than him most of his career.
0: Good stuff there, sir. um Another fight that was announced is Wiley Zhang and Rose Namun is running it back. I don't like this. I think Jane should have to fight someone else. Maybe get a get a good win behind her. I mean, I didn't. I feel like Joanna and Jacek had to fight Michelle uh, Namaunas, not not Michelle, Michelle Waterson, before yeah. she was able to get back into the title picture. But why uh, is Jane is being thrown right back in there? And with the way the first fight went, well, I'm not really too too confident about how this one will go, especially with Carla Esparza sitting right there in that fight story basically writing itself is this something that you are in favor of or would you rather see something
1: else it's a money grab they're trying to get that international money because wiley has a huge fan base and has a whole country behind her uh the matchup the only difference in the matchup is this she can't get involved in a long-range kickboxing match with rose nami units rose Yunus, pound for pound is one of the hardest hitting women in the world in mixed martial arts very few women have as many knockouts as rose nami have and that's in any way class Rose Units is knocked out, and she hasn't just knocked out anybody, nobody. She's knocked out and dropped. Highly ranked fighters. Michelle Waterf- Watterson, she dropped her. Joanna Djedrak knocked her out and went around. Wiley knocked her out. Jessica Andrade had her stumbling all over the cage. Like, she's a finisher. She's a high-level finisher. She's a punishing fighter. She's not just some light-fisted girl who throws a lot of volume. The mistake Wiley made was trying to get into a range kickboxing match, one of the most the best athlete, one of the better strikers and one of the hardest hitters. If she can stay out of that range or get inside the range safely, then it'll it'll be more of a battle of attrition. But the the thing is she has such a minimum margin of error because of rose's length, Rose's dexterity, rose and Rose's explosiveness. Rose can finish that fight at any moment with a submission or a strike. Now if she can extend it extended and avoid those things early extended now we have a fight and once again it becomes whether rose can navigate the pace and the physicality but wiley isn't a fast starter and wiley is determined to put damage on you which means she serves herself up to being blasted and you're facing a long agile explosive accurate striker that is not a recipe for success even if she gets the rose, she's gonna have to walk through fire and we've already seen, she can't really take Rose's best shot. And that was not Rose's best shot. She can't take Rose's fifth best shot. We know Rose can take her shot. Rose is taking shots from harder hitters than her. And Wiley's not a, not a really accurate puncher after the first two shots. So I expect it to be a little bit more competitive. But I do expect Rose to have a dominant win. Maybe even another quick finish. It just depends on how much attention Wiley put onto staying out, staying out of range, or collapsing that pocket and getting her hands
0: on Rose before Rose goes to work.
1: If she can't get her hands on her early and she's just lunging and chasing, it's going to be a short night again.
0: I think it'll be a short night too as well. Um, maybe not in the first round, but second round or so. I, just, uh, these quick turnaround fights never work well for the person that was finished the first time around. Yeah,
1: you don't He's give them enough time to change or to, or to prepare anything. You're essentially the same fighter because she couldn't train for like three months. KO, that's three to five months where you can't do shit, and then like a year later, you're fighting, so half of that year, you spend just recovering.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost, it's it's too soon for this fight for her. I think she should be competing against someone else, and I think that that fight with Rose and Carla needs to be there. Um,
1: well, why, she loses this fight. She's out of contention for a long time, so mm-hmm. she's way to the back of the line. I don't understand why fighters risk that. Like, if you lose this, you are getting nowhere near a title for a long time. Maybe you should get some momentum together first, and then work your way back in.
0: I mean, Carla got pretty much dominated by Joanna when she lost the belt, and she has still not gotten a rematch for her title. And this was the opportunity there because she has a win over Rose.
1: Yep. But you know, they they like that Carla doesn't bring money. Carla doesn't put butts in the seat. She don't bring money, so Carla will get her shot when she, whenever she gets it.
0: There's the rule. Is what it is, dope. But um let's keep it rolling and let's talk about what we're working on, so I want to let everybody know what you got coming on down
1: the pipeline. Uh I recently released an article about uh doing a breaking down a fight scene on Stargirl between uh Wildcat and Tigris. I did an article about fight or pay, and I also released an article about Jake Paul for dummies. Um I'm gonna do an article breaking down why defense is so important, and I think I'm gonna do another article where I break down how when people put these win streaks together, that doesn't exactly mean they're improving. That just means they're putting wins together. So why you see guys go on seven fight win streaks, then all of a sudden they lose devastating fashion. And you're like, this is the same guy. Yeah, he fought seven weaker guys. And then when he got right back to his level, it's all the same shit you always saw. It's just kind of giving people a little more nuanced look at fighters and their fight records. And uh, before I hand it over to you, I wanted to make one comment in the boxing area. This is a story that people are going to start paying attention to. Um, Oscar Valdez, he fights with uh, Canelo's group, with the Reynoso brothers as a trainer. His, he, he got flagged for having a diuretic in following his fight, a uh, big win over Miguel Burchell. Um, it doesn't mean anything for sure, but it could mean that he's using diuretic to flush out PEDs in his system. Because you went from a guy who looked shopworn and completely shot physically a guy who never looked better even in the prime early stages of the career against one of the biggest punches he faced and he looked dominant when months before he was getting rocked and pushed around by a light punching guy a lot of people are going to start looking at where he's at and saying canelo's had pd issues and then they have uh andy ruiz who is a heavyweight boxer who all of a sudden is looking very slim and trim and cut they have ryan garcia a young guy who looks particularly muscular and dynamic and explosive more so than he did earlier. So now rumors are going to start to spread that maybe there's something in that camp that's not just the coaching and the conditioning. Maybe there's some extra shortcuts that are being taken. And it's a it's a bad conversation to have. But when things like this get flagged, it's it starts raising questions about the morality of the sport and the honor and character of the fighters and the trainers in it. And so you should expect to hear more stories about maybe Oscar Valdez getting suspended and maybe people taking a closer look at Canelo, Ryan Garcia and other people who fight in that camp. Because it seems very odd that guys who are looking one way physically all of a sudden start training with these guys and look completely different. I'm not saying it's not a good training regimen, but when you start getting flagged for diuretics and stuff like that, as you know, in mixed martial arts, those questions start becoming very uh pointed towards you and who you are as a fighter and what you're doing as far as your preparation
0: that's pretty interesting i didn't hear too much about that and i would like to see some more on that so if you do put something together it would be interesting to um to follow because it, it just
1: came out everybody's starting to, everybody's starting to wonder now they're like
0: wait a minute he
1: looked great he was worn months before and now he looks like a brand new fighter oh shit
0: <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes, and, and not just in the fight game, but in the sports world in general. Um, yep. What am I working on? I am doing the usual pro wrestling mainly coverage. Um, I didn't do anything for MMA this week. I did a piece on Ali that I believe dropped on Sunday that I need to um, tweet out as well, too. I had a good time about that five like, lesser-known facts about um, Ali. I'll be sure to tweet that out. I think that went out of the day. But um, outside of that, I will be on site to cover um, AEW All Out this weekend, which will be my first time. I'm not. I mean, I'm going to the event, but I'm going to try to figure out how to do some post-event coverage, probably back in my room and stuff like that. I'll be in Chicago for that. But outside of that, that's really um, all I am working on, Swan. Uh So you know, we, like I said, we we're gone for two weeks. We're we're, we're back. we this show is a platform, and I just kind of want to say, you know, this show is important because there aren't a lot of podcasts that are doing combat sports where there are just pe- people of color talking. I, off the top of my head, I could think about like maybe two others. So that's the purpose of why we're still bringing this show around every week. So thank you, for everyone, for taking the time to listen to us each and every week over here at the MMA Ratings Podcast. We're 216 episodes in. So thank you for all the support over all these years. As always, you know all the channels where to follow us and where to hit us up, and like I said, we'll be back here next week, and everyone stay safe, wear your mask, get vaccinated, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, have a good evening, everybody. Thanks again, Raphael. Pleasure as always.